Good morning, y'all. Let's stand Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That means that God not only woke you up this morning, but he woke you up with a promise that he will shine on you and bless you because you are his beloved and cherished sons and daughters. 
So in this hour of worship, let's lean into God's promise that he wants to shine on you with his love and his goodness and then sing and pray and worship and celebrate like it's true, right? If you're new to First Prez, we're so glad you're here. And we want you to know that at First Prez, we are about real relationships with God and with each other. And that we believe when that happens, real transformation takes place. That's why we would consider it a privilege to care for you and serve you in any way that we can. So if you would just simply fill out a Connect card using this QR code, or you can go to the website after church, fill it out. It will give us the opportunity to care for you and respond to you right away. And for those of you online, this is the perfect moment for you to go and grab crackers, cookies, milk, whatever you want to grab, orange juice, anything that you have that can help you participate in communion with all of us this morning. We're so glad you're with us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you indeed not only woke us up this morning, but you woke us up with a promise. And that promise is that Christ will shine on us. That means Christ will bring blessing and goodness and mercy and all the things we need for this day. Lord, it's more than what we can imagine. And it's a promise from you. It was a promise you made before we even opened our eyes. Help us, Lord, to truly lean into that and to believe it and act like it's true. Lord, there are people, loved ones, on our hearts and minds that we are calling on you as the great physician to care for. This morning, we're asking that you would lift up Bob Campbell, having had a heart event yesterday and will be undergoing a heart cath on Monday, we ask, Lord, that you would heal him and bring him back to us as he was going to be on our music team this morning, Lord, and we know he wants to be here, but we also know that he is in your loving care, and we thank you for that, Father. Lord, we also lift up our beautiful friend Elizabeth Kristen and her family in the loss of her mother a few nights ago. We ask that you would tenderly care for her and love them as a family. Bring them the comfort of your loving arms. Shape that sense of your presence and love in their hearts today and every day going forward, Father. We thank you, Lord, for Jackie Faircloth. Having celebrated the anniversary of her birth on Friday, we give you thanks for her life and we continue to ask for he the healing of her body and everything inside her that might be hurting in her soul. Keep reminding her, Lord, of your love. We also lift up all of those who continue day in and day out to deal with the aftermath from Hurricane Ian. Our friends in Cape Coral at Faith Presbyterian Church and their community, thank you that you've put us together so we can love on them well and care for them well. Oh, Lord, we stand in front of this table this morning as we worship, recognizing that all morning long, and every minute of our life, you're inviting us to your table, into your presence, into your loving arms. Help us to understand that that's the invitation of the morning, and we are so grateful. In your name we pray. Amen. 
So in your chairs, we put these calendars. Will you wave yours at me so I know that you actually got it? Perfect. And we have it online for you folks online as well. Take it home and use it as a way to understand and be on top of everything that's going on in the life of the church between now and Christmas for children, teenagers, adults. It's not even everything, but it'll give you a good start. We also want to remind ourselves that at First Pres, we are committed to foster children because Jesus is. And to put wheels on that commitment, one of the ways we do that is through the angel tree, the foster angel tree that you saw when you came in to worship this morning. This serves children ages two to teenagers. And so you and I get to love on them by fulfilling their wish list. And I have the wish list of a little two-year-old this morning. Clothes, books, magnetic building tiles, and a baby doll. Who doesn't want to provide that for this little two-year-old girl? And your yes to doing so reminds her that she is loved and cherished and has not been forgotten. God bless you for taking one of these home. So I wasn't planning on having my emotions hit me after hearing about a two-year-old, so grab those angels off that tree. But anyway, we're going to do something special right now. I'm going to invite Matthew Snook to come join me. Matthew Snook, two or three things I want to make sure you know about him. The first thing is that he's a Jesus follower. The second thing is that he and his wife, Charlie, she's not here. She's in North Carolina. They are generous, and I mean that with their time, and I mean that with their talent, but also mean that with their finances. They're generous, and he's the leader of the team. We call it stewardship, and he's the leader of that team, and that team's job is to help all of us discover the spiritual truth of generosity and how that makes our lives and transforms our lives. Two things are going on in the life of our church, both of which we talk about regularly, but today we're over here. You see a picture of one of them. We've had you have responded and respond generously above and beyond to make sure that we can build a new campus and just this far away from the city telling us to start just this far and but Matthew is not in charge of that he's talking about the everyday in and out operations of the First Presbyterian Church and so Matthew Snook's chair of our stewardship team thank you for your outstanding love for all of us and the way you do it here with generosity thank you Fitz um, I am fortunately not in charge of literally anything anymore which is a wonderful place to be. I am the chair of the stewardship committee, and despite Mr. Dunkel's uh, guess that I might be up here trying to do the big shakedown, that is not what's happening today. <laughs> not, not completely what's happening today. Um, so you'll see on the slide up here, uh, this is a review of the giving in 2021. Obviously 2022 is not quite fully baked yet. We had 165 givers, and when I say giver, that might be a family, might be an individual might be a couple, whatever, but 165 givers that gave $200 or more in 2021, totaling $768,000 roughly. The first thing I just want to say is thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, this has always been a generous congregation, and we've been able to do great things with the generosity of your giving. Uh, you'll see up there on the right uh, three different beneficiaries of the church's giving. Now, so we regularly, uh, Kathy and Fitz both regularly encourage tithing, right? So giving a portion of your income. The church feels it very important to do the same thing. So 
community, um, uh, there are many, many community needs, both here locally as well as around the world. Those that are important to this church, uh, Young Life South Africa has been a longtime uh, beneficiary of our generosity, of your generosity through the church. Uh, Matthew 25 is a passion of this church for a long, long time. And then the Bethel Mission for Migrant Farm Workers, which is a ministry of the uh, uh, Presbytery of Tampa Bay. So we give to Bethel through the Presbytery. And uh, so those are things that we've been doing for a while now. But uh, all of that is solely because of the generosity of this congregation. Um, on the next slide, this breaks down the giving for each of those givers that I was describing earlier. It breaks down that by tiers. And we've talked about this before. You may have heard this before. And you can see if you look at the top center as it rotates uh, clockwise around the, the pie chart there, that uh, the $200 to $499 tier represents 31 givers. Uh, totaling 1% uh, of the total uh, giving of the church. The biggest single bucket are those 51 folks who give between 1,000 and 2,999, and you can see how it rotates around there. So we're grateful for everything anybody does, anything you can do, but this is what the summary of 2021 looked like. As we think about next year and go on to the next slide, um, what we're hoping is that we might be able to consider, ask you to consider, look at your budget. Look at your budget and see what you might be able to do. If we can uh, get the entire group of givers represented in this pie chart to tier up, meaning just go to the very bottom of the next tier. So again, with that 1,000 to 2,999 group, if they can all just move up to the bottom, the lowest level of the next tier, the $3,000, the cumulative impact of all that would be additional giving of over $247,000. That's a 31% increase, and think of all we could do with that money. And keep in mind, all this money contributes to a lot of things. I've talked about the, the, um, the charitable organizations that we give to, the, you know, the different missions of Christ out there in the community and, and all they do. But keep in mind, this is also for operational expenses, okay? The basics of having these lights in my eyes and, um, and you know, the, the operation of this campus. More importantly, the programs that we sponsor, all the cool things going on with the kids back there, with Miss Rachel, and, and just all of the great things this church is able to do for the community as well as for, for the congregants here at First Press. So a lot of great stuff going on. So we're asking that you prayerfully consider tearing up. I, I actually was in contact with the boss this morning who's still up in North Carolina. She has authorized our tearing up. So Tony, got it, okay. So the Snook family's tearing up next year. But that's really all I had to say this morning. I don't think I have another slide, do I? No, okay, good. Um, I do wanna say one thing though. On, on that list of the beneficiaries of the 2021 tithe, there were th the three organizations on there. We did have seven of them that have been approved for the church's ministry for next year in terms of the church's tithe. The same three, but including in that is going to be the, the, the new foster ministry we have, which I think is a great thing, created which, with which you're all probably familiar. Uh, Young Life Urban, I don't know if you guys have ever met Russell, but he's a force to be reckoned with and does great work with the uh, Young Life Urban uh, community here in Tampa, as well as the Cedar Kirk Camp and Conference Center out in Eastern Hillsborough County. My kids grew up going to that 
that, that camp their lives and loved it. It was a huge part of their Christian upbringing. So that really is all I have to say now. Okay, all right, thanks. Please stand with us.
Good.
those lights are bright. You're right, Matthew. So we are facetiously suggesting that what you all came in here for today is to learn how to manage people in your relationships. And we have the C4 approach to relationship management. Yep, we're going to convince, we're going to coerce, we're going to convict, and we're going to control them. Huh? Y'all in? And I got a fifth one I'm adding. Cool. Well, obviously, Jesus' followers, that's not what we're here for. But our point in these four weeks, and this is week two, is to say that somehow, looking at, look at those four words, it seems to be our default. We don't even know it, but somehow we end up trying to convince or coerce or convict or control people when we have damage in a relationship. And uh, we want, we're talking about reassembly required, a beginner's guide to repairing damaged or broken relationships. That's what we're talking about here. And here's, here's the real clincher. If you are a Jesus follower, it ain't optional. And that's a part of, that's the, sort of the meat of what we're going to talk about this morning. We did it last week. We're going to do it this week. We're going to do it next week and the week after, looking from several different angles. Jesus followers don't have an option. If you're not a Jesus follower, you may hear some things that are helpful in your relationships to help you repair stuff that's broken. In fact, I'm certain it'll be helpful. But if you're a Jesus follower, we're not given an option. It's a mandate, a command, an imperative that we be people that step into brokenness and do our very best to lay down the drawbridge, roll out the welcome mat, and open the door, clearing any and every obstacle or barrier out of the way, giving the possibility of reconciliation. It's what God did for us, and we're told that we're supposed to do it. But let's just think for a few minutes about the C4 approach to relationship management. One of the things that I would suggest to you is all four of them have something in common when we're talking about trying to convince people, which is to argue with them. And coerce and convict and control, those are all just added up sort of like, uh, don't you remember what I did for you? It's like blaming, it's like shaming, all of that going on. And here's what happens. If you are on the other side of that, a lot of times what we feel when someone tries to control us or coerce us or convict us or convince us, we feel rejection. And here's, here's the thing. Rejection is kryptonite to relationships. It doesn't work, and we don't want to be a part of it. And so we're, we have biblical principles about how to resolve and repair relationships. And remember, it's a beginner's guide, what we're talking about here. It's not like four Sundays with me talking and not, you not interacting. I'm going to give you homework again. I gave you some last week. I'm giving you some more today. And so we start working this stuff out. And we're, we're talking here not, we're talking about core friendships, family. I'm not talking about your employees. I'm not talking about your boss. And I'm, I'm not talking about your children unless your children are adults. If your children are adults, then this is, this is in play. So we're talking about those relationships that really matter. It could be a colleague at work. It could be somebody you do business with who, who's hurt you. Lots of things like that. And so the more core the relationship is, the more vital it is that we really, really, really work hard at figuring out how to reassemble. How can we become agents that are looking for the biblical ways to repair broken relationships? That's what we want to do. And you know what? It's a learned set of skills. Again, I think we default 
to those things that don't work. And we haven't really seen conflict resolved in a healthy biblical way, many of us in our lives growing up, and that's not a condemnation of parents. I'm a Jesus follower, and I'm a parent, and I'm quite certain my sons didn't always see me do it the right way. They saw me try to convince or convict or coerce or control. They saw me volatile. They saw me lose my cool. I just pray for them that they'll forgive me. <laughs> they will. Here is another thing that I want to just make clear. This is going to sound confusing at first, but the goal, the win. Here's the goal. The win is not reconciliation. And the reason the goal isn't reconciliation is because you can't set an agenda for another adult. In other words, I can't say you must reconcile to me to a person with whom I have brokenness in a relationship. I can do everything I can do to roll out the welcome mat, to open the door, to get obstacles and barriers out of the way. But I can't choose for them to want to be there. But I can do everything I can to make it possible. So here's what we're saying. The goal can't be, the prayer is reconciliation. The wish is reconciliation. It's what God has done for us, absolutely. But I can't make that decision for somebody else with whom I have a broken relationship. But what I can do is everything I can do. Anything and everything I can do. And the way, the way we frame the goal is to say, no regrets. Do everything you can do. So that every barrier that you have control over is knocked out of the way. And any obstacle you can, con can control clear. But we don't have control over all the pieces in a relationship with another person. I simply don't have control over you. But I do have control over me. And I can make everything that I can possibly control, out, get it out of the way. So that we can move forward. And one of the things that we've been sensing since we started this conversation a week or ten days ago is that most of us have something like this inside us. A core relationship, a friendship, a family member, even a business colleague, a peer, something where there's estrangement. And we just don't know what to do. And it is not easy. So as a family, we're talking about this from this upfront public kind of thing, but we can work on it together in the relationships that we have with each other. And we can do it because we're learning to be authentic and we're learning to be vulnerable and we're learning to be transparent. And those are ingredients to knocking down barriers and clearing obstacles out of the way. And that's what we want to be. And so, so all of this is to say uh, the, C, the C4 approach is like C4 plastic explosive. It doesn't work. Kind of the visual of the thing blowing up here when we got started. Here's what works. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. What works is this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, or as Christ Jesus, Messiah Jesus. So we're going to leave that up, but I just want to tell you what Paul says next. This is the great Apostle Paul, one of the five most important public intellectuals ever to live. Period. Interpreting the meaning of Jesus. What does it mean that Jesus lived and he died and he was resurrected and he gave his life for us? What does that mean? And how are we supposed to live? So this is, this is highly conceptual, but Paul's a very practical person as well. So what Paul says after that, he says, this is a beautiful poem. It, it, we don't, it, it's a poem, but Paul says, 
who, being in the form of God, did not regard being equal to God something onto which he clung or held onto. Instead, beautiful Greek word comes next. He emptied himself. In the Greek language, it's kanao, is the verb. In this passage, it's called the kenosis passage, emptying. Jesus emptied himself. Remember, being God didn't hold on to that, emptied himself. And it says a little further down, and humbled himself, taking the form of a servant and allowing himself to be killed. And it was even death on a cross. The most heinous criminals were executed on crosses. So when I say to you, it's not an option as a Jesus follower, we're simply doing what's already been done for us. And here's the other thing that's really important to remember. Jesus never offended. He never broke any relationship. He never sinned. So he who was without sin took the bullet for you and me. So we don't get to say no. Now, the default posture for me, no. See, I can, I can hold my, I can say, I forgave him. But that's only half of it. The other half is you can forgive from a distance, but you can't reconcile from a distance. You've got to knock down the barriers, clear out the obstacles, throw down the drawbridge, get rid of the weaponry, roll out the welcome mat, and open the door. I can't control whether you decide to say yes and let's put this thing back together again, but I can do all of that. And that's what God has done for us. So when, when I say to you, it's not optional, we're being told here, this, I mean this colloquially, colloquially as well as grammatically. Somebody loves you. <laughs> we, we are commanded to be like Jesus. And when we do it, we become more like, more like Jesus. There are two reasons that I think that Paul says this. I think he says it because it's good internally for the family. And we're a family. And I think he says it because he wants our family to be one, united, to resolve things. When you have people, when you have families, you have people. And when you have people, you're going to have problems. And so you, this is not, a, it's going to happen. It's not if it's going to happen. It's going to, how are we going to respond to the conflicts and the brokenness that happens? And we're going to respond with biblical mandates which say treat people the way Jesus treats people. And just remember what I just tried to trace out. He never did anything wrong to break a relationship. And he took the bullet for all of our brokenness. So we can't say, I did my part. What would it be like if, we, if God had said to you, I've done my part? But that's not what God does. God run, <laughs> runs to us. Reckless love, we just sang. Here's a little cutesy way of making the point. I'm just going to try to make the point any number of ways I can. The cutesy way of making the point is this. Reassembly always requires, uh, reassembly always begins with us 
whether or not we initiated the fuss. I'll say it again. Reassembly always begins with us, whether or not we initiated the fuss. I, you're just like this. No. Do you know what he did? I get it. See, Paul writes this to us. He doesn't know us. He doesn't know anything about your life. And you got people that did stuff to you. I'm not saying they didn't do stuff to you. And I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just telling you what Jesus did for us. And he's saying you got to do it the same way with people. And so we're decision. Four decisions are going to get one today. And here it comes. Decision number one. I'm asking you to accept the challenge. I'm putting wheels on Jesus' words that Paul, on Paul's words, have in your mindset the same, in your relationships, the same thing as Jesus. Here's a way to put wheels on it. Decision number one, I will get back to, not get back at. Oh, this is so hard. I will get back to, not get back at. You see it? The welcome mat coming out. How am I going to get back to? Because, see, I forgave them. If I hold my arms across my chest and say, I forgave them, now it's their turn. I'm really still, aren't I, getting back at. And maybe I didn't finish forgiving yet. I may think I have. And, oh, friends, you've got to understand that this is so real for so many of us. I, it's not appropriate for me to talk about anything else about this, but except to say that in a couple of places in my life right now, very real time, I'm looking at Kathy if you're online. I'm in the middle of this myself. Trying to make a relationship avail, make, make a barrier, knock barriers out of the way. It's just a part, I, I have it in my life, I've had it in my life. I will get back to not get back at. And so Paul writes to the people in Rome to say more about this. This is sort of getting your hands into the dirt. So in, in, to the people in Philippi, the little city up in Macedonia, he, which is Greece, he writes to them and say, have in your relationships with each other the same mindset as Jesus. And Jesus, of course, gives everything. Then he writes another letter to the people who live in Rome. These are Jesus followers. And there's a couple of things you need to know about the Jesus followers in Rome, really the Jesus followers in all of the early days of the movement. In Rome, you had wealthy people and slaves and people of different, different ethnicities all beginning to follow Jesus. And Paul's desperately eager for them to be united in their relationships with each other because it's good internally for them. But guess what else it's really good for? The second reason I think Paul's talking so much about how we resolve conflict is because you and I, when we are humble, when we listen, when we say I'm sorry, when we're vulnerable, when we're transparent, when we're authentic, you know what happens? People see it. We are a light in the world. And oh, there's desperate darkness out there. There's brokenness everywhere, and people are dying to see it resolved. Look at the brokenness in our culture. And you know what? Jesus is saying, you got to find a way to work this out. And Paul's saying to you, if you think you've done enough, you got work to do still. So look at Romans. We're going to go back to five or six verses in Romans, just sort of dancing through some verses to sort of give some concreteness to some of this. 
Look at this one, the first one we have here. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. In other words, no fake smiles. <laughs> right? No two-face. No say something in front of somebody and something else behind their back. None of that. Hate what is evil. So here's, here's another way of saying that. Reallocate your hate. If you have been harmed by someone, if you're like me, you celebrate when something goes bad for them. And here's what Paul is saying. To have the same mindset of Jesus is don't hate the person. Don't hate the who. Hate the what. Reallocate it. And how hard is this? Oh, you want to get them back. And again, we just have to remember that God didn't get us back when we broke with God. So Paul says, love must be sincere, hate what's evil. The opposite of that is cling to what is good. And so we find a way to do that. That's just Romans chapter nine, chapter 12, verse 9. Look at verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Just the thing about honor, I think what that means is this. Here's a word that can help you and help me understand honoring. Defer. Put yours to the side. Put yours back here. What's theirs? So we honor someone when we, when we defer. And one of the things that I think is powerful about this, and I think it's I think it's not, maybe it's true for men, but I mean, I just think you women, when your moms are just awesome. I watch Kathy defer everything about her agenda for our children and now for our grandchildren. Man, I, you know, if the Knowles are playing, I just tell them to go find something else to do. <laughs> I, it's really hard for me to defer. I'm just selfish. I want to go, go play golf, period. I'm not really quick to defer, am I? <laughs> defer. So Paul keeps going. We're going to look at verse 14 now. Again, this is how do we have the same mindset as Jesus? Just sort of snippet. So he's writing to these people in Rome, trying to help them figure it out in concrete ways. And it's 2,000 years ago, so some of the words don't mean the same to us as they did to them. And that's, that's why it's important to stop and look at a few of these words carefully. Bless those who persecute you. So bless is a powerful biblical term, but let me just give you a word to translate it to. Commend. How could you possibly expect me to commend them? Now, in the sense of persecution in the West, where we live in the United States, it's not really likely that you're being persecuted the way some people are in the world. But here's what could be happening to you. They could have stolen something from you. They could have lied in business and you lost terribly a lot of money financially. You could have had a family member manipulate your family's will. This stuff goes on all the time. Jesus is just saying, you've got to hate the what, but not the who. Let it go by forgiving them. Find your way to see them the way God sees them. L love them. Hate the evil. And keep moving. 
Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Oh, in my mind, how many speeches have I given to the, to the adoring public about this estranged relationship where I'm 100% in the right and the other person is absolutely, totally wrong and I can't wait to see him get it in the teeth? Am I, am I, am I odd here? Am I unusual? Am I unique? No, you're writing speeches and you're saying them and you know that you and I have work to do when we rejoice at someone's bad happenings or we can't celebrate when they have a win in their life. What Paul's saying is you know you've moved to a place where you're open to reconciliation. You know you've rolled out the welcome mat when you can really be glad with someone when they're glad or you can hurt with them when they're hurting. And so that's how that Paul's just saying these are ways that you can measure are you becoming a person whose mindset is like Jesus in relationships with each other? Mourn with people who are mourning even when they've harmed you. One last text I think we want to see here, verse 17. No, two more, 16, 17. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Again, I mentioned historically in the city of Rome when the Jesus movement began, people were from all walks of life and their ethnic differences, etc. And Paul's just desperately eager for them to understand the implications of being redeemed and reconciled to God. If we're reconciled to God, we must reconcile with each other. And we just can't treat people the way the culture around us does. We have to be different. We have to be open to people, slaves, Slaves. Now, when we think slave, don't think of chattel property slavery like we did, this heinous thing that we did 500 years ago with Africans. That's not the kind of slavery it was. You could look exactly like each other, except the slave was in such destitute conditions they were indentured to the person that owned them. And wealthier people could own people, but they might look exactly alike other than their clothes. So it means that kind of slavery, not the kind of horrendous stuff that we did. Not that it was good. I'm not saying that but it was not anywhere near as heinous as what we did. So slaves, men, women, wealthy people, aristocrats, laborers, everything in between, they're in this family of faith together. And Paul's saying, find a way to have harmony with each other. And he goes out of his way here to say this thing about position and, and culture. So he's saying those differences, which many people would make tantum, would, would elevate to importance, they don't count for Jesus' followers. Verse 17, sort of like the, this, here comes the linchpin. This is, this is sort of stating the decision. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. In other words, we're being challenged to make a decision. I will get back to, not get back at. Forgiveness is a start but it's not enough because forgiveness can be done from a distance. But to be open to a reconciliation, there has to be closeness. And that's why we have to roll out the welcome mat and open the door. And we can control barriers that we can control and we get them out of the way the best we can do. Reconciliation, of course, it was and is the goal in the sense of the, what we hope for and wish for. But what you can control control it. And that is where you get to some point where you realize, I've done everything I can do. And you may be sad if the reconciliation doesn't happen, but you have no regrets. 
in lots of ways in relationships. It's really, really good advice to go, go, go until you have no regrets. And if you're resistant to it, what Paul is saying is, you got some work left to do. Here's a way of putting wheels on this. You ready? It's a prayer. You provide in the blank the name of the person or the names of the persons, if this applies to you, if you have some estrangement. This is just a prayer. You can make it your own. God, Heavenly Father, help me to see blank the way you see blank. Help me to feel towards blank the way you feel towards blank. In other words, we're getting rid of hating the who. And certainly we can hate the what. But we reallocated our hate. And when we begin to be able to say, I promise you, you start working on this prayer, you start posturing yourself in your relationship with God, with this prayer, I'm, I'm telling you, God will answer the prayer. He will. God would, can't wait for us to resolve. Because broken relationships break God's heart. God's not angry at the person you're angry at. God's heart is broken about what the person may or may have did. But God loves the person. And the brokenness breaks God's heart. It's why God did this. To give us, a, the, to remove the barrier so we can get back to him. I want to give you a little homework. You ready? Three things. This is what I want you to do is when you... Go out to lunch today. You have to be careful. Here's number, thing number one. Do I have thing number one? There we go. Three questions. Which of the, C, the four C's? Watch this one. Now you be, be careful about this one. Which of the four C's did your parents reach for? I'm a parent. I'm a parent. You know, I'm not being critical here. But I'm just telling you humbly. I don't know how to do this all that well. I'm a, I'm a work in project. But you may have inherited from your mom and dad, friends, some of this C4 approach to conflict re resolution and relationship. Which of the four do you think maybe your parents reached for? Again, you might want to take, be careful about where you talk about that one. Do it in the, if you're in a life group, do it there. If you have a really close friend, do it there. And, you know, you may want to ask your kid. If your kid is an adult, kid, how did I do it's a, I've done that with my kids. It works. Number two. What's your initial reaction to my cutesy notion that regardless, uh, that reassembly begins with us regardless of who initiated the fuss? What's your reaction to that? Talk about it with somebody. And the third one is the prayer. So here it comes again. Heavenly Father, help me to see blank the way you see blank. Help me to feel towards blank the way you feel. If I could, I'll just end with a personal illustration. A friend, a colleague in ministry, uh, what happened to this friend, this is a man, and he was married, and his, his wife was also a colleague in ministry, and she ended up having an affair with yet another colleague in ministry. You following me here? This, is not, this didn't happen here in this church. 
And I, I didn't know what to say. I was so confused. And I didn't know what to say. I wanted to say something to him, the man who was offended, whose wife had the affair with the other guy. And I hated the other guy. I just started hating him. And I'm in my garage, and the phone rings. And it's the man. And he says to me, Fitz, why didn't you call? And I, I felt then the way I do now. It's the most loving thing maybe anybody had ever done for me. Because he, he extended to me. He rolled out the welcome mat. I had heard him. We're boys. We were boys. And I just didn't do anything. In effect, he was saying, I was hurt. You didn't call. And I just sort of tearfully said, man, I, I didn't know what to say. I'm so sorry. I love you, Mom. I'm so broken. We, you know, and so we just worked it through. Because he took the first step. Whew. That's what's going on right here. Jesus took the first step. For those of you online, it's time to get your stuff together. And what we have here is the body and blood of Jesus. And what this means is this. This bread, you'll hear it said to you, is your and our reconciliation. We're put back together with God. This cup represents new life. This blood is the new life in Jesus that we have. And so we can be like Jesus because he's taking up residence in us. And we can have the same mindset. But we're being invited to take the challenge to choose to get back to people, not get back at them. Friends, when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're getting made over again into a brand new reconciling machine. <laughs> you're a relationship specialist. You're good at it. And when we're good at resolving conflict, it makes our family healthier and it makes the world desperately eager to get in on it. And it's very important that we keep both of those in our hearts and minds. We want to be light in a world of darkness. We want to be reconciling with each other. We want to be laying out the welcome mat to any and everybody. And you, it just, you just have to practice. It may be scary, but you'll get good at it. Don't be scared. The elders are going to come forward now who are helping Kathy and me distribute these elements. And ushers are going to help you come forward. You're going to start from the back. The band is going to play a great song called Run to the Father. That's what we're doing. We're running to our Father as we celebrate new life.
pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you that you have taken all the first steps. You went first, you are first, you love first, you are love, and because of that, you come inside us and make us people that can be humble, we can forgive, we can let go. Gracious God, we want to be that kind of person in the world, and we know we can't do it without you taking residence in us, and that's what you've just done. Thank you that we get to be agents of forgiveness. We get to be drawbridge lowerers. We get to be people who really reallocate hate. And all this, gracious God, we do in such a way that people around us sense that somehow we're more at peace because we're working in every way we can to be people who clear our barriers and obstacles out of the way to rebuild relationships. That's who we want to be. And for those of us that have one who are right in the middle of it right now, we pray, gracious God, that you would give us the wisdom and the insight and the courage to take a step. All this in the name of Jesus who loves us and loves us and loves us. Amen. Run to the Father.